I remember it like yesterday. Every Christmas Eve, going to my grandparents' house after we went to the Christmas Eve service and going down in the rec room, a finished basement in Lancaster County is called a rec room. And the fire was burning. Yes, my grandfather had some libations on the bar. But I remember going down there and sitting and watching people arrive, wondering who was going to walk down those steps next. Some people I knew should be coming. Others were surprises, like the one year I saw legs coming down the steps, and before I knew it, it was a police officer. And he said, you're all under arrest. And then I realized it was a good friend of my grandfather's who was at his hunting cabin, and he was on duty that night and just decided to stop in and throw a little fun on Christmas Eve. But I remember it like yesterday, every year, waiting to see who was coming or, or who I expected. And so my question to all of us today is, who are you expecting this Christmas? Not, not physically. You probably have that already taken care of. But what about spiritually? Who are you expecting to arrive in your life this Christmas? Jesus is the one whom the Old Testament foretold and for whom John the Baptist prepared the way. However, the way that Jesus carries out his mission is a little bit different than the Jewish people were carrying out their mission and even how John the Baptist ministered. Jesus does not manifest as the ruler king, but the humble servant. And people are scratching their heads. And so this morning, as we continue our Advent series, An Unexpected Arrival, we've been engaging the different responses to Jesus' birth. Now, not all of them, but we have looked at Joseph's response. Then we looked at the shepherds, and last week, the magi. And so this fourth week, I want to do something just a little bit different. How do we engage our faith in Jesus or our exploration of who Jesus is, if we're still searching, even in the midst of doubt? Even in the midst of doubt, our reactions for longtime followers of Jesus, those that are newer to the faith, those who are exploring the faith, we all have those days in which we doubt. Amen? We wonder, God, what are you up to? Why don't you act with that judgment? Why don't you intervene in crises? And I believe that Matthew chapter 11 illustrates this. With John the Baptist now in a prison cell as he questions Jesus, and he has to do that by sending his disciples to ask Jesus this very powerful question that we'll hear in just a moment in verse 3 of chapter 11. Are you the one who was to come, 
or should we expect someone else? I think John is being totally honest here. He's not speaking for anyone but himself. He had doubts that Jesus was the Christ, the promised Messiah. And if I'm being honest, there are days when I wonder, God, what are you up to? There are days when you say, God, what are you up to? Jesus, where are you? And his presence is right there all the time, friends. And yet, it is okay to doubt. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. It's just to the right of Malachi, in which Kay read from. But even though it's just a couple pages to the right, Malachi's voice was the last voice that the people of Israel heard for 400 plus years. Can you imagine four generations of silence from the Lord? They were used to hearing, thus saith the Lord. They didn't like who was saying it many times. But 400 years of silence until this guy that dressed a little funny and ate a little funny and was acting a little funny broke on the scene, John the Baptist. And even John the Baptist, as we turn to Matthew chapter 11, had doubts. I marked my Bible this morning with a bookmark. His name is Khalid, a compassion child. Gene and I have been part of the compassion child program for 32 years now. We're on our third child. They, two of them have graduated out, and Khalid, Khalid Muhammad is from uh, Indonesia. And um, I wonder if there's days when Khalid wonders, God, what are you up to? He sends us precious he sends us precious, precious uh, little notes. Usually they're two or three sentences long. And this time, we just got it yesterday, he drew a truck, a blue truck. Um, and yet, I, I get a little bit of insight into Khalid's life and his family. And I wonder if there are days in which Khalid, being only 12 years old, is wondering, God, are you really out there? Why do I struggle with food for myself and my family? Why is it so hard to, to get an education? Why don't I have maybe toys like some other kids? I bet Khalid in his own way, in his own time, in his own place had doubts. And yet it's encouraging to get his notes. Till we meet again in the next letter, he says, peace and a healthy life be with you and your family. Peace, the Hebrew word for that is what? Shalom. Shalom. And that's the peace, that shalom that I hope is in our hearts and our minds, even when we have doubts. Let's continue to listen to God's word this morning by Matthew chapter 11, the first 15 verses. John the Baptist, again, is in prison. Jesus has been doing ministry and wonderful things. And yet, as you'll see, John and Jesus have a little interaction. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one? 
who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news or the gospel is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, Jesus says, I tell you and more than a prophet. This is the one whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. And then Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear. On the one hand, Jesus was clearly doing good, right? Wouldn't you say Jesus was clearly doing good? That might be an understatement. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. But John's wrestle is with where is what he prophesied about? Where's that judgment? Where's that winnowing fork? Read a little bit of Matthew chapter 3 beyond what I read to you this morning. Read and remember from the words that Kay read to us from the prophet Malachi. Where is that judgment, says John the Baptist? For crying out loud, I'm in prison, later to be beheaded, for being a follower of you, for pointing to you. Theologian D.A. Carson asks this, It was all right for Jesus to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, still storms, preach righteousness, and announce the kingdom, but where was his judgment? Had the corruptions and cruelties of Caesar been abruptly shut down? To which I say, absolutely not. Had the hypocritical temple leaders been banished? To which I say, absolutely not. Had the disgusting corruptions of the Herods been confronted? Nope. Why was he, John the Baptist, languishing in the stifling heat of a prison fortress for challenging the morals of Herod while Jesus, the alleged Messiah, did nothing about his own 
injustice. As far as John could see, friends, the world was as wicked as it was before Jesus began his ministry. Frustrated, doubtful thoughts. God, where are you and what are you doing? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Lord, where are you? Honestly, friends, sometimes the Christian life, the things in it don't add up. Being an accountant, I love it. Two plus two always equals four. If it doesn't, I'm going to find out why, right? But sometimes in the Christian life, things don't add up like that. We cannot work out what God is doing. We may find ourselves asking, if God loves me, then why has this happened to me? We can become quickly discouraged, demoralized. We can get off track and try to fix things ourselves. There was a time, as we just heard in the life of John, the Baptist, when things did not add up. Two plus two did not equal four, particularly concerning Jesus. In his preaching, John had warned wayward Israel that the Messiah was coming in judgment, that he would burn up the ungodly. Yet it appears that the only one facing death is John himself. Wasting away in prison, wondering if he's going to be set free. He has been hearing reports of Jesus' ministry, and while there have been wonderful works of mercy, there has been no what? Judgment. What happened to that winnowing fork that he talked about? John is confused. And friends... It's very interesting what Jesus does through John's disciples. He reminds John of the words of Isaiah, chapters 35 and 61, who spoke of the prisoner being set free. Signs and wonders that would mark the coming of the age of salvation. These are the very deeds that accompany Jesus' ministry. Jesus is the long-awaited Savior, and he's inaugurating his kingdom. There will be judgment in the future, but today is a day of mercy, of grace, of service, of suffering, and eventually Jesus will do what? Lay down his life. Jesus then bears witness to John, the greatest of all prophets, No prophet spoke so clearly about the coming of Christ as John did. And yet John now is questioning his own words, his own prophecy. John couldn't fully comprehend the character and the work of Jesus. And yet what a gift we all have. What a gift we all have. We know the story or we have an opportunity to know the story, the good news of the gospel We see it from beginning to end. And who better than we to carry that good news out into the world, to remind ourselves some days that God loves us, that God came for us, that God died for us, that Jesus is living for us at the right hand of God Almighty as our great high priest who is interceding for us even now, 
Even now, Jesus is praying for you. Even though your world may be turned upside down. We have this gift of the full story of the gospel. What are we going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Who are you expecting this Christmas? God's kingdom has always been powerfully advancing, as we hear in Matthew chapter 11. Throughout history and across the world, people are turning and submitting to the Lord Jesus. Yet as the kingdom advances, its enemies have always tried to destroy it. And yet I have that picture of Jesus with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi before his death saying, Peter, build my church. Build my church, Peter, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. These have always been the twin marks of the kingdom work, powerful growth and relentless opposition. Martyrs, persecution, spiritual warfare. John was confused and doubting. Are there days that you're confused and doubting as well? Absolutely. It's tough to be a follower of Jesus. But Jesus takes him back to the scriptures and basically tells John, all is well. All is well. John still scratches his head. That verse echoes in my heart today. And he asks Jesus, are you the coming one? Or are you the Messiah? Or should we be looking for someone else? John the Baptist had his doubts. Do you today? It's okay. Jesus could take it. John the Baptist had promised that the one who is coming after me is stronger than I. Malachi bears witness to it. Isaiah bears witness to it. The Old Testament is filled with references to this prophet, to this Messiah, with judgment and blessing. And John says, give me a little more judgment. <laughs> I'm hurting. People are still hurting. John had believed that this would be accompanied by a larger measure of judgment than John had been able to notice in Jesus thus far. Why was John in doubt about Jesus? Because John's coming one in which he proclaims in Matthew chapter 3 was recalled he was mainly a figure of power, a bringer of judgment. He uses words like fire and an axe to cut down the unfruitful trees. There is good reason to wonder if Jesus, since chapter 3, fit John's fiery description. He went to the least of these. He taught the Sermon on the Mount where we're to turn the other cheek and to love and forgive our enemies. In John's eyes, Jesus was from the very first a little bit baffling, a little strange, less messianic than he had expected and less cataclysmic than he had preached. After all, the Messiah was to bring his mission and ministry to the big town, right? To the temple in Jerusalem. What was Jesus doing hanging out in this area of the Galilee? in smaller synagogues 
with people less important than the Sadducees and the Pharisees. In a word, Jesus is out in the sticks healing the sick. Insignificant little individuals here and there, but doing much to change, not much to change the basic structural problems in the temple. Do you get the picture? John's doubting. John's struggling. Now, if it were up to me, I'd have all the lights off in here and low-lit candles everywhere. I love low light. I love waking up in the quiet mornings with coffee before the sun comes up. I love it when the school right across the street, Cubberly K through 8, it's a non-school day because it's quiet. <laughs> it's peaceful. And, you know, I'm a guy that is conflict-averse. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I decided to serve in the church. There's never conflict in the church. <laughs> but honestly, friends, our hearts yearn for that peace, that shalom. Not only the cessation of conflict or inner calm, but also a peace that leads to justice, right? Flourishing and delight. Scripture reminds us that God is the God of peace, the God who gives us the gift of full circle peace through Jesus. Thus, our longing for peace has us longing for God's kingdom to be fulfilled. I mean, think about it. When we talk about peace today, 2022, we tend to think of it mainly as either an absence of conflict or inner calm. Both realities are embraced by that biblical concept of peace, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago. It's shalom in Hebrew. But they only begin to represent the richness of this biblical idea. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. Basically, I can sum up shalom like this. It is the way things ought to be. Shalom. Shabbat shalom. May your rest be peaceful. May your rest be the way things ought to be. Wouldn't you love to have things the way they ought to be? Absolutely. And yet we wonder, who is really coming this Christmas? Is it the meek and mild baby in a manger? Or is it the conquering king to just deal with all this bad stuff that is happening? Despite what John the Baptist could see from his prison cell and what we can see as we look out at a war-torn, plagued, and weary world, Jesus assures us that this present age is, in fact, over. Does he really do that? Wait a minute. It's not completely over yet, I know. We pray, though, every week. Do you know what you pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's inbreaking kingdom. The war has been won. 
And yet, the battle rages on until Jesus' second advent. Friends, Jesus responds to John's doubt. He responds to John's doubting by pointing him to the scriptures. He says, friends, or he says to John, the scriptures point to that the blind will see, the deaf will hear, and the lame will walk. It checks pretty much all of the boxes on the checklist. Despite what John could see from his prison cell and what we can see as we look out into this war-torn, plague-weary world, despite what's going on in your life, Jesus assures us that the present evil age is, in fact, over. He knows it's over because he inaugurated the age to come himself. He is the promised Messiah that came in a little town of Bethlehem. And 2,000 years in God's sight is nothing, and yet it's weary on our souls as well. And so, friends, are there any places in your life where you have lowered your expectations of what God might do, say, in broken relationships, lingering sins that you're struggling with, loved ones who continue to reject the grace that God extends to them? Have you lowered your expectations? Who are you expecting to come this Christmas? Are you expecting the King of King and Lord of Lords as strange as that story may seem? I pray this morning that you would ask God to rekindle a flame of hope in your heart as you offer prayers about these things. And there's a brief two-sentence reflection that I like to read from an author named Bob Benson every Advent, and it goes like this. When life caves in, you don't need reasons, you need comfort. You don't need some answers, you need someone. And Jesus does not come to us with an explanation. He comes to us with his presence. And so I pray that the presence of Jesus is who you would expect in a new and powerful way. And yes, you still may have doubts and questions. That's okay. But let's pray together for the real presence of Christ to be tangible to each of us. As people connect a good shepherd this next week and into the new year. And even with you as you connect with family and friends and neighbors and co-workers. Let's pray that the presence and the promise of Jesus would be we real amidst the questions and the doubts. Amen? So, Lord Jesus, we do ask you to come and to come as only you can come, giving us your peace which surpasses all human understanding. Amidst the questions amidst our anger, amidst our fears, amidst our doubts, come. Come in an unexpected way. And by your spirit, may you point us to the scriptures, to your promises, to the hope and grace and peace and forever love that we can find there. Lord, you have not gone anywhere. You are right here with us. Thank you for allowing us to be real and honest with you and one another.
and thank you for who you are and always have been and always will be. We ask it in your name, and we pray these things. God's people say.